Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here. I am going to do some dual. I'm I'm going to do a dual sermon series, and what that means is I'm going to do two sermon series at the same time. So I'll do one one week and one the other week. Because sometimes I get a little bit bored doing the same thing week after week. What do you think? It's like let's let's mingle it up a little bit. And so the one is going to be entitled, and I'll start with that today. It's going to it's called Bible based. Bible-based, and I'll talk about that in a moment, and then next week I'll start the other sermon series, which will be about how do you know that you are saved? And we're going to study through the book of 1 John. We're going to point out something, some ways that you can practically look at yourself and ask the question, well, look at, let me look at the fruit of my life and see if I look like a saved person, because saved people seem to demonstrate certain characteristics that John so neatly illustrates to us. But for this morning, we're going to talk about being Bible-based, and I think this is extremely important. We live in a time where churches generally are not Bible-based. They are based on whatever guy started the church some time back, like Lutheranism is based on Martin Luther. But there's very few churches that are really just based on the Bible, and I've, I've never seen it as much in in my life as I've seen it since I've come to America, how little churches respect the Word of God just for what it says. There's a lot of outside influence. There's a lot of, it's like many churches have become, for example, politically based and they make their doctrine and their decisions, what they approve and disapprove of based on what's happening in politics, on the, the ideologies of the day. But very few people are willing to, churches are willing to stand up and say, look, we're going to do it based on the Bible. But that's not what the series is going to be about. The series is going to be more about, do you live a Bible-based life? Is your life based just on the Bible? This is extremely important. Uh, Two, three weeks ago, when was it that the whole universe of snow fell on this place? Two weeks, three Three weeks ago when the whole place froze up and there was, you know, I, I, you know, I look outside and I think to myself, and you've heard me say this maybe in a private conversation, I'm like, which human being decided, let's go set up tents in the Northern Hemisphere. Let's, let's go as high as we can and see if we can find an environment where it's easy to die, especially in the winter. So for me coming from South Africa, I was like, I was like, why would a human being come build a house here? But in case we, we did it. And here I am, I'm living here as well. And my car froze up. My, my car literally, the, the, I literally get, a, get a, a signal inside my car telling me that the front, the front camera is frozen up. It tells me, don't trust the distant measuring thing. I couldn't believe it. Any case, so we were going to drive across the, the mountain to, to Redmond and there was everywhere I see signs saying that you, you have to have chains. Now, that's a foreign thing for me. Never in my life experienced chains on wheels. That's, that, that should be a sign. That should be a sign. This is not safe, a uh, safe place for humans to live in. Anyways, so I go look at chains. I go to Walmart. It's like $75. What? $75 just to have it in my car. I go down to Les Schwab because everybody tells me, go to Les Schwab because Les Schwab, you buy it and you take it back in five days time or whatever, or at the end of the season or whatever. I go to Les Schwab. Somebody still said to me it's like $5. I get to Les Schwab, 150 bucks. Now, I want this because I want to get across the mountain today. The lady I get inside, she says, she looks at the car and she says, hey, man, I'm not sure if that car can take chains. 
I was like, for crying in a bucket, these people know that they're selling a vehicle in the northern hemisphere with, with, with ice rains down from heaven. Surely they must make cars that can take chains. She says to me the most disturbing words. I hate these words. You'll have to go read the manual of your car. Yes, I hate this thing. Who of you hates this thing? Who of you buys a car and you're like, I'm so excited. I'm going to, first thing I want to do when I get on, I'm going to open the manual. I want to read about this car. Look at this thing. This is a mountain of reading. Oh, I'm like, really? So I've got to go find out in the manual whether this car that I'm driving can actually handle chains. This morning I scrolled through this, this thing over here and it's incredible the stuff that's in there. There's things in my car I didn't even know existed. There's things that my car can do. I can't even imagine that a car can do that. It tells me when I need to go take a sleep. What? The technology is incredible. Got cameras at the back, cameras in the front. Tells me when I need to drive. All kinds of security features. In actual fact, when John came here, and, and which is my friend from South Africa, the, he couldn't believe that the, the car can actually drive by itself between the lanes it's got sensors on the side to keep it in the lanes wow come to america there's some really cool cars over here it's like this kia says to me here is a car here's a car you buy it here's a car and then they say to me and here's this to make sure that you get the best out of it here's the car and here's a manual to make sure you get the best out of it and if you like me, I don't read this. So I end up driving the thing because it's easy to drive it, right? It's been made easy to drive. But I, I cut it short because I, I don't experience all of its features. And when I desperately need some, some serious information, I don't have it. So I can't drive in the snow. Yet this vehicle is capable to do stuff. But because I don't want to read the manual, I end up losing out on something really powerful that this vehicle could do and that's how life is it's like god is saying here's a life live it i'll put breath in your body and i'll give you strength you live this life and then he says well here is how you get the best out of it this thing here but i don't know if you like me i treat this the same way as i treat that well here it is you have a life um, you want to get married, so go see what God says about marriage before you actually do it. How many people actually do it? They don't. And then you get married and have a substandard marriage. I'm using that as an example, just marriage. Go have kids. Have kids. Multiply. Oh, that's easy. We'll have kids. And God's like, just go check the manual before you do that so that you know how to raise these little creatures. And we have the same attitude. When people tell us, well, have you read what God says? Have you read the manual? Now, I am in a unique position. And this is a very personal lesson for me. I'm in a very unique position because on the one hand, I get to study this thing every week. I study it every week. I grapple with it. I dissect it. I think about it. It's part of what I do. I try to apply it to my life as best as possible. It transforms my mind. I try to do it objectively. I transform what I find in here. I transform it into words 
in order to share it with you. I checked this week. I write about 10 pages per week from this, sometimes more, to share it with God's people. And I see that as an honor and a privilege to study this and share it. But that's the one hand. The other hand is this. In a way, it's a curse. It's a curse. Because I know what it says. I really do. I'm in a unique position because I study it the whole time. So I have a better understanding maybe of it. I see, I, I see the content and the application. And because I do this every week, I, 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 I also meet people and I can clearly see they've got no idea how different their lives are from what it actually says. That puts me in a unique position. I know what it says, but I see how people live. And, re- and in conversation with them, I can see you've got no idea what you're missing out on. And that, in a sense, is a curse for me. Because I'm like, I wish I could just plug my head into your head and transfer all of this stuff that I've read and seen and studied for years. And I wish I could just transfer it into your brain so it could be a blessing to your life. So you could see, oh my goodness, your life could be totally, totally different. People do life, but it's not working the way that they do it. And they struggle through this life, never reading the manual. And I'm like, man, do you even have a manual? That's the worst thing. And you know what the answer is? Most people do have the manual and it's treated exactly like I treat my car manual. I just park it in the cubbyle and only open it when the Leshwab lady says I must. We are surrounded by people who don't know that they don't know. They don't know that they don't get it. They don't know what God says. They do church, but don't know God. They live a life, but not a Christ-like life. And when you ask them, do you follow Jesus? They say, yes, I had a Bible study this week with a, a bunch of people. And the lady says to me, she's studying with somebody else. And this lady says to her, she loves Jesus. But this lady is busy cheating on her boyfriend, is sleeping around, and, but she loves Jesus. And I'm like, no, she doesn't know Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what? Do what I say. So here's a person that thinks she knows but she doesn't know. She thinks she knows Jesus, but she doesn't know Jesus. She thinks that she's a follower of Jesus, but she isn't a follower of Jesus. There's a lot of this. It's everywhere because we don't get into the word. And the key culprit in this life, the key culprit that leads you to that is that you don't study the Bible. Most people don't live Bible-based lives. It's not Bible-based. And I want you to pause for a moment. What? Do you live your life on? You've got an opportunity to think about it. And even by just asking this question, I know it's difficult for us to be rational and objective with ourselves. Like pause a moment and ask yourself the question, how do I make decisions? What is it? What is the framework that I base my life on? And even us talking about it now in the next five minutes, you're not going to be able to unpack that. You're going to have to go back into your, into your life and think about it this whole week. How do I make decisions? How do I do marriage? How do I raise my kids? How do I treat my finances? What do I think about my 70 years on the earth? What am I doing with my time? How do I make these decisions? Is it reason-based? Do you live your life reason-based? In other words, this makes sense to me. I'm going to live my life that way. And then I've got a question for you because that's a reasonable answer, right? When I make decisions in my life, it must be reasonable and rational. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you trust your brain? How well do you trust your brain? And one of the good ways to see if you live a reason-based life, if you've got good reason, look back at the past. Have you made any mistakes? Anybody here who haven't? Have you ever trust your reason and then it turned out very unreasonable? What about heart-based? Well, I make my decisions based on what I feel. I live my life based on the gut. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I trust my wife's gut. Her gut is pretty good. She can, she can, she, she, you know, when she says, ah, oh, I don't feel so comfortable with these people, she's generally right. But you can't make your whole life, you can't base your whole life on how you feel. Why? Because how I feel, our feelings changes as the situations change. What about friend-based? Well, I, I, if, if I need to make big decisions, I ask my friends, should I marry this guy? Let me go ask my three friends here. They're not going to get married to the guy. You are. You can't even trust your own reasoning, but you're going to go trust their reasoning. Well, what about parent-based? Well, I, I live my life based on what my parents taught me. Has anybody here got perfect parents? What about preacher-based? Well, if the preacher says it, obviously it must be correct. Well, here I am standing in front of you. I'm a preacher. Guys, don't listen to everything I say. I'll be honest with you. If what I say comes from the text, you've got to listen to the text. It was so funny last week. Lots of you didn't like last week's lesson. Let's be honest. You're like, oh, now I can't eat donuts. Michiel said so. No, Michiel did not say that. Oh, now I've got to go work out and sweat. I don't want to. I want to lie on the couch. I get messages from, from Brother Tom telling me he's, he's, he's busy. Don't worry. And it's like, listen, Linda, <laughs> it's if God says it, then trust it. You don't have to trust me. Ignore everything I say. But when the scripture comes up there, trust it. And all I'm trying to do is relay what the Bible says. Because we're trying to be a Bible-based church. And I'm trying to be a Bible-based preacher. But I've met so many people. They just trust the preacher. The preacher says, okay, we, we, what, what he says, that, that's it. But they don't even know if it's true. You guys have been studying with me, some of you, on Sunday nights. The Berean church, what did they do? They didn't even trust the Apostle Paul when he preached. They tested what he said with the Scriptures. Well done, Bereans, and do the same. I don't think your best option, and my best option in life, is to trust my reason, to trust my heart, to trust my friends, to trust my parents, or to trust the preacher. I believe that it needs to be based on the Bible, and the Bible alone is the thing that we can Trust. And here, I want you to listen to this. The Bible is wiser than your reason, more trustworthy than your heart, more objective than your friends, more reliable than your parents, more accurate than your preacher, and more authoritative than your church, because that's the last one. Church-based. This is why God told the Israelites, write these words. Write it on your door frames. When you look up, you see it. Write these principles on your gates because when you go out of, the, out of the yard, you will see God's oracles. These words are trustworthy and they are true. And that's why Paul commands Timothy. He says to him, study. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. And he tells him, if he doesn't study the word, it could lead to shame. If you don't study the manual, you will end up doing something stupid, saying it in simple words. 
I've done a lot of stupid things because I do it my way. What I think's right. What I feel is right. Not on what the actual text says. This keeps it all objective, ladies and gentlemen. It keeps it straight. It comes down out of heaven. Imagine reaching God one day. We get to him, the ultimate judgment scene. And the first word that God says to you is mampara. Now, God probably doesn't use that word, but you know what I mean. He looks at you and he says, bro, I watched you live your life, man. What a weasel. Let's look at your life. Let's look back quickly. And he pulls out the screen. The whole life is out there. And he says, man, yeah, check that business. Look how you ran that thing. Look at what you did to your money there. Look at your wife, your husband. Look at, I mean, look at the kids. Look how your kids turned out. I mean, why did you do that with them in the house over there? And, and, and what about your spiritual life? I check here. Here's a few actions you took left, right. And, 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 and you had these 70 years on the earth. And what did you do with those 70 years? How did that impact anything in, in, in the greatest scheme of things? If you did things just a little bit differently, let me show you what your life could have looked like. And then he pulls out another screen. He said, well, look, look at this. If you went left here and right there and you did it by this principle and that way, you could have ended up here. You could have made this impact in the world. Your kids would have been there and your marriage would have been incredible. It would have been a burden all the way through. And, <clears throat> and let's say it's me. Then I turn back to God and I says, yes, but, but God, if you, if you were with me and you gave me the advice as I went on this journey, that would have been incredible. But you weren't there. And God would respond with what, ladies and gentlemen? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. Calm down. My records indicate that you've been to church 5,264 times. You had six Bibles in your house. You walked past them, those same Bibles. You walked past them to the bathroom in the kitchen and the lounge at back 32,458 times. And you read one of them 326 times in your whole life, but you never studied it. Because all the principles were in there. You walked past my words. That's what this is. God's words, God's advice, God's manual on how to do life. You walked past it. You never even opened it up. I gave it to you in very simple terms, but you didn't. You never used it. Your life could have been a hundred times better if you just studied the manual. I'll give you some, I'll give you an example. And, and some of you have probably been through this before, going back to the car manual. I bought one of these bad boys in South Africa. It's called the Mahindra. These bad boys are made in India. Incredibly cheap vehicles, but incredibly nice, comfortable ride. And the manual says, don't ride on dirt roads for long periods of time. And everybody tells me the same thing. It's going to fall apart. I'm not going to follow the manual. It's going to do it my way. It doesn't make sense. I'll do it my way. It's got like big wheels. It's nice and comfortable. <laughs> for crying in a bucket, ladies and gentlemen. One day I came down the road and it literally just fell on. It, it, it had a rod that exploded. Literally like just broke apart. And it fell onto the wheel. The, the body of the vehicle fell onto the wheel. And from then on, I literally drove this car into the ground. The last time we drove it, I had to drive it. So in South Africa, all the vehicle, most of the vehicles are stick shift. By the way, can you do stick shift? Yeah, stick shift. And in stick shift, and you've you got to drive a long way and the gearbox is broken. Even the gearbox got broken. The diff lock was breaking. It's oil everywhere. It, you might as well just drive it into the ocean and say, bye. 
I drove it in fourth gear. Fourth gear, correct, connects the main rod and the gearbox. Fourth gear, all the way the last time to Durban. And then I never drove it again. Dead. Because I didn't listen to the manual. I see the same thing happen in people's lives. But they'll drive that broken thing. They do this life, man. They refuse to get into the manual. The question is, why do we neglect the study of the Bible? And you can be honest with yourself. I don't want this sermon to be condemnatory. If you haven't opened your Bible in like 10 years, I'm not judging and nobody's judging. The reason why I do this lesson, because I want to inspire you to get into it. I see the value. I'm lucky. I get to do this every week and deal with it and see its value. But most people don't realize that. And here's the key reason, I think, and this is what R.C. Sproul said. Here then is the real problem of our negligence, talking about Bible study. We, fall, we fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it is difficult to understand. And I'll get back to that. And not so much because it, because it is dull and boring. Those of you who've read the Bible know it's not dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Let's be real. We're lazy to read, to study. The Bible is not boring. It's the most powerful book in the world. And the Bible is not that complicated. Many times people, I hear people say this to me. Yeah, but I don't understand. Well, it's this, this, that. Well, you haven't read enough. I had a very good mentor. He said to me, if you don't understand something in the Bible, it just means you haven't studied enough. The answers are there and it's clear. And why is it that, that kids can understand it? Every night my boys listen to God's word. How can they understand it? It's an excuse, let's be honest, to say, well, I can't understand it. The Greek word means to labor or to exert yourself. That's the text in, in 2 Timothy 2.15 where it says that we've got to study. That word means labor, exert yourself. It takes brain power. It takes thinking. It takes wrestling in your heart when you open the Bible. I studied this week because I, I wanted to understand this. Why is it that we don't want to read? The most energy expensive organ in your body is the brain. Its weight is only 2% of your body, but it uses 20% of all the energy that is available. The brain is, makes you get tired. The brain eats 320 calories per day on average. If you don't think, you just live. Now you've got to go pick up this thing and you open it and oh my goodness, number one, I've got to understand it. Number two, oh, it says uncomfortable things. I've got to deal with that now. So now my heart is engaged as well. And now I realize, oh my goodness, I, am, I need to fix a few things. Now I start to feel guilty as well. Oh, let me just put down this thing. Let me just put it down. It's loaded. And this all takes us to, to last week's lesson again. Who is the master of your body? It is as challenging to say no to a donut as it is to say yes to a Bible study. Well, at least in my life. The only way we will get ourselves to go against our weakness in this regard is to, will be to find a real good reason why studying the Bible is worth it. Why is it worth it? And I've got to, I just got to throw it out there quickly. One of the reasons why we don't study our Bible is because the church has become so comfortable. I mean, we've got a preacher, man. I don't need to study the Bible myself. The preacher says, 30 minutes, he shares it with me every week and explains it to me. That's great. Well, that's, that's, that's great. It can help. I hope I'm helping this morning. But at the end of the day, if you want to have a personal relationship with a personal God, you're going to have to start doing personal Bible study. 
If you want to personally understand it, you're going to have to get into the Bible and personally start studying it. So it adds value to your life. If it is important to you, you will find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. That counts for everything in life. And so what could I say? I don't even know where to begin to try and inspire us this morning to get into the word ourselves. But I want to start by just saying this. We can know God's word better than any generation before us. We have access to God's word more than any generation before us. Let let me unpack that for you. We find ourselves in a very unique situation. Only 12% of people in the world could read and write in the year 1820. You want me to repeat that? Only 12% of the human race could read and write in the year 1820. That's 200 years ago. 12%. In the year 2016, only 14% of the world population could not read and write. And I want you to go home and think about the implications of this. If you lived in 1820, you most probably would not have been able to read the words of God. You couldn't read it. You had to trust the priest. You had to like say, well, I hope this guy is reading the real stuff to me. yeah." But if you can read, which is where we are at today, I can actually get more information. I can actually live a better life, a God-like life now than in the year 1800. That doesn't mean that God is unfair. It just means he's going to judge us harsher because we have access to what he says, but we ignore it. The guy that lived in the 1800s, he didn't have access except through the priest. And so he had to just trust what they said. So we have a grave responsibility. So two things I want to say. I want to remind us what the Bible is. And what is the first thought that comes to your mind when you think about what the Bible is? Just a few things. Number one, it's an eyewitness account. First John 1 verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And your fellowship is with the father and with the son, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Go go check that out at at, at home again. But what John is saying here is he's saying, hey man, we saw Jesus. We saw what he did. It's real. And we've written it down for you. So you, that's us, can have fellowship with them. That's incredible. It's not a made up story. It's real. Jesus is genuine. He was here. He walked. And John says, hey, we witnessed this. And we wrote it down because we thought it's worth it. Imagine we go to John and say, John, or John comes to us at the end and he say, hey man, did you write all this, did you see all the stuff that Jesus did with us? And we're like, no, I didn't. I think it would be highly offensive to him. So it's eyewitness accounts. It's scribal recordings of the things Jesus and the apostle did and said. It's God's only revelation to humans for this age. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, all scriptures God breathed. It's God-breathed. These aren't just the words of men. These are the words of God in here. It is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You cannot be a servant of God and not engage with the text. It's objective moral truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word 
is truth. One of the most, we are in one of the most difficult times in human history where people don't know what the truth is because TikTok says that, Facebook says that, CNN says that, CBS says that, MNNBC, BB, whatever says that. I'm getting to know all of these bad boys. They all have different names and everybody says a different story. Biden says that, Trump says that. What is the truth? It's a confusing world. It's hard for us to figure out what truth is. Men can be women. Science says though. So some people say that's what science says. Well, at the end of the day, where do we find the truth, ladies and gentlemen? Your word is truth. That's the only way. We can't trust modern ideology. We can't trust the politicians. We can't trust the president. We can only trust this ultimate source of truth. It's also the oldest and best attested to ancient document of all time. I've done sermons on this. And if you want the information, I can give that to you. It's been miraculously preserved. I don't have time to tell you about the Dead Sea Scrolls, about the numerous times that the text was tried to, people tried to destroy it, about the incredible copies of the scholars, that it is perfectly recorded in different languages on different continents, that there are more than 24,000 copies of this text that is more reliable than the writings of Plato and all the great guys of the past. And then most importantly, this is what God says. Everybody has something to say. And it really, it doesn't really matter what people say at the end of the day. All that matters is what God says. People say they want to know God. Well, here it is. This is how you get to know him, by listening to what he says. The preacher can speak. The church can have doctrines. Our parents can pass down teachings. Our friends can have all kinds of advice. But at the end of the day, they could all be wrong. But this will be true. So it's what the Bible says, or what the Bible is, and then what the Bible does. And I'm almost done. Just hang in there before, before you fall asleep. Hang in there. Four things that came to my mind about what the Bible does. It's a perfect measuring stick. The word canon means measuring stick. This is the canon of Scripture. The Holy Spirit decided that these would be the writings that would be in what we call the Bible, which, by the way, is not a book. It's a combination of, it's a library of different writings. It's a perfect measuring stick. You want to measure yourself? Read this. You want to know what you're made of? Read this. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active. It works, man. This thing, when you open this and you start reading it, whoa, man, it starts eating into your heart. It starts changing your mind right? Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It gets into you. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It is also what I like to call the great calibrator. It calibrates you. It gets you back on track. If you've been off track and you've been living your own life, get into this. It's going to pull you back on track. And get you connected. And thirdly, it's the divine transformer. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you do that? How are you going to change your mind? This way. And the Greek word there is, when a, is, is used for when a worm turns into a butterfly. 
You want your mind to become beautiful? You get into the text. And then lastly, the Bible is the inner cop. Psalm 119 verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to walk a righteous life, get into this because it will remind you on doing the right thing and the good thing. Okay. I think these are two big problems with Bible study. We think that it's just a book and studying it is like studying every other book. It's not true. There is no writing like this in the world. It is living. And when you actually engage with these words, they mysteriously, mysteriously change your life from the inside out. That is why people memorize it. That is why it is the most sold book in the world, the most read book, the most printed book, the most translated book in the world. It changes you. So let me conclude. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Those two need to go together. Life and teaching, that's doctrine. It doesn't help trying to live a great life, but you don't know what your teaching is, what you're going to found it on. That's where you've got to get into the text. Mark Driscoll said, if this thing will ever turn over, study the Bible like a soldier on a mission, not a scholar on a sabbatical. When I say studying the Bible, I'm not saying become a scholar of the Greek language. I'm saying study it so you can be on the mission that God has called you to be. And the book is really about getting to know God. Get into this book until the God of this book gets into you. Job 34, 32 says, Lord, teach me what I cannot see. The only way you can see the blind spots in your own life is if God shows it to you. And he will show it to you through this book. That's why he gave it to us. Jeremiah 15, 16, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. The less we read, of the word of God, the less we desire to read it. And the opposite is true. The more you read it, the more you want to read it. You just got to make a starting point and get into it. And I want to close off with this. Matthew 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What do you hunger for? Let's pause a moment. What do you hunger for? Do you have a desire in your heart to do what is right? Do you have a desire in your heart to make good, godly decisions? Do you have a desire to be an incredible, righteous, godly, loving, compassionate parent, husband, wife? To be an extremely good example to the society within which you live? Are you hungry to be that? Because if you are, Jesus says, you will get it. But it's, it has to be proven by whether you're willing to open this. And make time for what God says. And I want to challenge you to do that. If anybody wants to study the Bible, you are welcome to call me at any time and I'll study the Bible with you. That's why I'm here. You throw out any topic, any topic under heaven, give it. And I'll come study the Bible with you. But most of you, to be honest with you, you don't really need me or some of the leaders here. Or those who've been in the church for 50 years. You got a friend, his name is Google. You got one of those bad boys. Yes. You just type in there what you're looking for. Scriptures about health or money or whatever. And you just go read those scriptures. Google will give you a lot of those. And if there's anything you don't understand, it might be a little bit difficult to understand. 
you're welcome to give me a shout anytime. I want us to be, you know what the Muslims call us? You know what the Quran calls Christians? People of the book. I want us to be people of the book, like they say. People who actually get into the word. Not just people say, I'm a Jesus follower, but you got no idea what he says. Let's get into the book until the God of this book gets into us. Let's stand. Then we sing the closing song. <clears throat>